Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Monday morning, the 10th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The latest survey on income and living conditions published by the Central Statistics Office highlights how difficult it is for many pensioners to make ends meet. The CSO's Silk data for 2022 tells us that enforced deprivation among older persons rose by more than half in the course of 12 months from 85 Four percent in 2021 to 12.7 percent in 2022. Consistent poverty among older persons rose by a third, from two and a half percent in 2021 to 3.3 percent last year. One in three older persons living alone, the majority of whom are women, are at risk of poverty, or at least that was uh, the case last year. Up from one in five in 2021, when 21 and a half percent were at risk compared to. 33.6% last year. The overall number of people at risk of poverty in Ireland in 2022 was just over 13%, but it was 19% for older persons, people aged 65 and older. In other words, 140,000 people over 65 are at risk of poverty, a 7% increase or an extra 55,000 people more than was the case the previous year. Last week, Sinn Féin asked what is government planning to do to improve the lives of so many older people. The Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, told the Dáil that the 2022 Silk data is based on income from the 2021 calendar year and, as a result, considerably out of date. Because, the Minister said, the data does not include or reflect the very significant increases and improvements for pensioners introduced by the government since. These increases and improvements included a total €17 increase in the weekly rate of state pension payments since 2022, along with a double payment in October of 2022, the Christmas bonus in December 2022, and an additional 200 lump sum paid in April of 2023 for those in receipt of the living alone allowance, fuel allowance or carer support grant for the one-off lump sum payments were made. The fuel allowance scheme was also expanded through improvements to the means test for those over 70. These households would also have benefited from the electricity credit scheme. So this government has already responded in a big way to cost pressures faced by older people and we will continue to do so in the context of the forthcoming budget. Heather Humphreys, the Minister, was responding to Rose Conway Walsh of Sinn Féin, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us uh, on the programme. Do you accept what the Minister has said uh, about uh, the significant measures that the government has introduced to help older people in this country uh, and improving on that dire situation uh, that was highlighted in the CSO data that I read out at the beginning of the programme? 
Uh, good morning, Michael. And no, I don't. But what I find most worrying is that there isn't an, an acceptance or acknowledgement of what the problem is. And part of tackling any problem is, expecting, uh, is accepting that there's an issue there in the first place. Now, in terms of what she's saying of the extra supports that were given, absolutely, yes. Um, if uh, the supports hadn't been put in place, then pro- poverty would have soared more than that. But as you rightly point, point out, what's facing us is that 55,000 people are, uh, more people are in poverty, older people, uh, p- retired people are in poverty now than were in 2021. And also, if you look at Social Justice Ireland and the great work that they do in terms of examining all this, they would say that the state pension spending power this year will be €23 less per week because of the impact of inflation. So uh, while income pension has gone up, but the real spending power has gone down. And I think that's one of the things that the government need to recognise. And that's why I was putting it before the minister the other day. As we talk about budgets and uh, coming up to, you know, what we're going to do with the major Mm. surplus uh, that's available um, in the country, we need to focus on the situation for retired people and for older people and the extra cost for them. Now, we know that there are ma- ma- major drivers uh, for uh, the extra costs uh, that are pushing uh, retired people into poverty. And in the main, there are transport, energy and uh, groceries. But increasingly, I'm finding as well, Michael, that mm. access to medical treatment, because it's denied through the, the normal system, that um, elderly people or people who are retired um, have to go down the route of paying for that themselves. So there's a number of factors here that need to be looked at. Okay, maybe we can go back to that in a moment, but uh, can I just ask you to back up that €17 increase in the state pension over the last two budgets uh, is a significant increase uh, by anybody's standard, I imagine. Uh, But you're saying that despite that €17, there's been a 23 3% decline in spending power. That's right, yeah. Well, it's not me actually saying Mm. it. It's Social Justice Ireland that are saying it. And they do, they examine in detail these situations. And I think we have to listen to that. Uh, So we can't just say, well, everything is fine because we have, um, you know, put some once-off payments in here. Right. And Social Justice Ireland is saying that there should be a €25 increase in uh, the pension in all social welfare payments. But uh, the Minister has said uh, that they're going to move uh, in terms of increasing the pension in the next budget. Uh, But how far would you move? Would you go the €25 that Social Justice Ireland is suggesting? We're working out at the moment in terms terms of our budget and I know Patricia Ryan our spokesperson for older people is putting in a very hard case obviously uh, for people and put presenting these facts uh, to us but what we have called on for a long time was a, a social welfare adequacy commission to monitor and to advise on social welfare rates annually and we have to benchmark rates for social assistance payments to a minimum essential standard of living and I think so there needs to be more fundamental report, reform. What I'd like to do uh, Michael would be to avoid every year we come up to budget where um, retired people or older people are you know grasping for increases that we need some more fundamental reform uh, in this area to ensure that um, people aren't falling into poverty in the way that they are at the moment. Mm. And that's why we wanted to work with government 
to be able to do that and to listen to, you know, the likes of Alone and to the other agencies. Okay, but you've heard from Social Justice, Aaron, they're saying €25 is a, a minimum and you can't agree or disagree with that number at the moment. And not at this point, no, because obviously we're not in the, in the business of, of kite flying uh, for uh, for the budgets, but everything is being worked out. We had the summary economic statement uh, last week, which will give us the parameters of the budget, and within that, we are working to what can be done. But I was quite alarmed the other day when uh, when when we see that wholesale electricity prices fell by 35% in June and yet those prices haven't been uh, passed on as well. So mm. to say you cannot just take this in isolation um, you have to take like the energy prices as well. They need to be passed on. 200 euro electricity credit 125 euro lump sum payment uh, to people receiving fuel allowance, 100 lump sum uh, to households in receipt of lump sums. A total of tw- 225 euro uh, one payment in March and one payment in May, that wasn't bad at all though, was it? It's not a case that it's not bad, but we have to look at the reality of where it is. Absolutely you needed those payments. I mean, as I said, the figures would have risen substantially uh, more if it wasn't for those payments, but they must be more than once-off payments, and that's why I want to see the fundamental reform around it. But you've got to look at a household. Also, I thought what was interesting is when you look at households, the ones that are more likely to be in poverty are people who are living on their own, retired people living on their own. And we see a higher, higher proportion of women are living on their own as well. So, as I said, these things need to be examined and they need to be responded to in a way that it uh, mm. fundamentally changes things. But uh, when you add it all up, because the Minister went on to remind us of uh, the doubly, double weekly payment uh, of €253, euro, then another €200 euro electricity credit, that was in November, €400 euro lump sum uh, for the fuel allowance, a living allowance lump sum payment of €200, euro, a 100% Christmas bonus, uh, uh, all in all another €253. Euro. Yeah, but you cannot take that just, that's only one side of the coin. Mm. So if you were to get the, the, the electricity bills that have come in for uh, retired people as well, indeed for everybody, you'll see huge electricity bills there. So while it's going in, and that's the point I was making to the Minister, while it may go in in one pocket, it's been taking out, it's taken out as quickly by the other pocket as well. We need to look, we need to look at the inputs, mm. but also the outputs. But €45 Euro a, a week since those measures, and that was the point the Minister made to you, overall a total of €2,331.60 was as much taken out of the other pocket. Yeah, but if you go in, if you if you go in and do your shopping tomorrow morning, or somebody's going in to do the shopping, you know how much extra you pay for that, um, than you paid this time last year, as well. So you know that, and and all albeit that we see that inflation is coming down slightly, that doesn't mean that the prices in the shops mm. are going to come down in any substantial way. So we need to look at it in the round, and we need to look at people who are retired. Um, to see what income and to see what outgoings they have. We also need to be very cognizant around the the people who are living in rural areas as well in terms of transport and the lack of transport there. So if somebody has to pay to go to a hospital appointment where you have uh, many of the treatments now that are centralised, in, I come from the Mayo constituency, so if somebody has to go from, say, Belmullet to Galway, where most of the services are available, 
um, that can cost them their whole week's pension uh, just to be able to take that appointment. So when the minister would say then, well, we gave that person X amount of money, you know, it, it is very, very quickly eaten up. And that's why there needs to be more investment in rural link in other public transport mm. um, that can ease that from for uh, for people as well, mm. as well as obviously in terms of, of, of what needs to be done. And but having said that, it is a, a yeah. great country to be an older person in, isn't it? Uh, I mean, public transport is free, speaking of transport, but uh, all of uh, the benefits uh, given to pensioners here are, 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 I think, probably the envy of uh, older people across Europe. I wouldn't say that at all. No, I mean, we lack public transport here. So while, I, while you say people can avail of public transport, absolutely. But if the transport isn't there in the first place, so if there isn't bus services that are going to get you to your hospital appointment, mm. then, you know, you're going to face that as well. If you had to stay overnight in a B&B, if you go to Galway or go to Dublin for an appointment, again, there's huge costs there. So I would argue in that sense, it's not a good place for the person, for the retired person in that situation on a limited income Mm. to be able to access services. And what you'll find in many of the other countries is that it's easier to access those services and it's free to access them as well. Mm. Well, generally speaking, uh, healthcare is free in this country, isn't it? Well, healthcare is getting, you know, the delivery of healthcare and the inequity in healthcare, I think, is something, well, it's certainly something that really concerns me. So it can depend on how much money you have. It certainly can depend on what part of the country that you're living in. So it's not equal for everybody in terms of access to healthcare. And then we see, obviously, the shortage of, of GPs in areas as well, trying to get access to an appointment. I don't want to be negative mm. about all this, but mm. I think we need to look at the landscape and look at where we are and, and what needs to be fixed in order to be able to ensure that when people retire, who've contributed all of their lives uh, to the state when they retire, that they have uh, an adequate uh, income to be able to live and that they have access to services no mm. matter where uh, where they live. Uh, do do, do people need to take some responsibility for that themselves and make provision for their older years uh, or for when they retire and uh, to think uh, about uh, having their own pension in place or uh, like, I suppose, the majority of pensioners in this country are particularly comfortable because they bought a house, which means that they don't have any outgoings on accommodation. They probably have savings as well. Uh, Yeah, well, you can say that there's a certain amount of responsibility and obviously there isn't people, but if you're a carer and you're somebody who has been excluded out of out of pensions or you're a foster parent or you're in many other different categories, you can be excluded uh, from access as well to, uh, to pensions or to an adequate income later in life. And as I said, that needs to be examined and that needs to be put right as well. So, um, you know, you have to look at these things through the cycle and to the life cycle in terms of what blockages are put there for people and what puts people into poverty uh, once they retire as well. We saw a lot of people uh, leave the workforce as well over COVID, Michael, and I think that is also having an impact. Um, People have left through health reasons and for different reasons that they found that they could no longer work um, as they got older, and uh, I think I think the full extent of what has happened as well with COVID and what has happened in terms of inflation, we won't see the full impact of that until 
um, next year, for later on this year and next year as well. So there's an accumulative effect here. And that's why I wanted the minister and the government to be ahead of these things, mm. to be able to see what the reality was for people. If they're sitting in homes that are cold, that aren't insulated, and they are looking at, can I afford to turn on the heating? Now, she cited as well one of the things that concern me, about, oh, we have local authority grants to fix houses and all of that. We do, but what I'm finding is here in Mayo anyway, and I haven't checked with the other counties yet, is that we're being told by the local authority that they have run out of money, that there's no further money. So when somebody has a leaking roof or something that needs to be done with their house and they're eligible for the housing aid for older people, they're not able to access that because the money isn't there, which to me is quite bonkers because we're told in Linster House that there's millions there and there's billions there, but it doesn't reach the people. It, do, it often doesn't reach the people that it's meant to reach, that it's meant to improve the lives of. And, uh, you know, when we look at SEAI grants again in terms of people being able to access those, the waiting list for those over two years uh, for that as well. Again, they're not graded according to need or according to the state the house is in. And, uh, and and all of that. So there are many things that can even be done that, w- that won't cost anything extra, but schemes that need to be fixed in order to be able to ensure that retired people have a quality uh, of life that they deserve. All right, uh, we'll leave it there. But before you go, can I just ask you about um, that bonfire in uh, Tyrone, the scenes uh, that we're seeing in Moigashal um, with a, a par that has a, a boat uh, with uh, the Good Friday uh, ship has sailed, Republican flag and a photograph of uh, the Taoiseach set on fire. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, just uh, usual 12th of July rhetoric or is it something to be concerned about? No, I think it's appalling. But I, I did uh, take special notice. I think it's appalling uh, that it's happened, and uh, uh, but it's been happening for so long. I wrote to the PSNI back about six years ago when my own uh, poster was put uh, was on, a, on on one of those fires, and I got a response back to say basically there was nothing to see here. I have the copy of that mm. letter from the PSNI. Okay. So I would like to see. Uh, obviously, I would need to see. Uh, all of those things uh, condemned, and I mm. think right-minded people are appalled okay. uh, by what. I think it's being investigated happened. as a hate crime this time around. Well, that's what I had put to the PSNI at that time, and that was six years ago. Okay. Uh, but I'm glad to see that they're they're treating it that way now. Okay. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's Rose Conway Walsh, Sinn Fein's spokesperson on public expenditure and reform. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Well, just uh, returning uh, to those figures that I read out at uh, the start of uh, the programme, uh, the Silk data, the standards in living conditions uh, published by the CSO, saying that just over 13%, 13 13.1% of uh, the population at risk of poverty, according to the Silk data. It's data that is mirrored by a survey carried out last week by the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, that's the CCPC, and that has found that 12% of people say that they'd only be able to cover their costs for a month if uh, they were hit by an income shock, uh, that 
they just wouldn't be able to cope at risk of poverty if ever. So very much in line with that. Uh, that survey tells us uh, that overall one in three people, a much higher figure, are, are struggling to make ends meet. And those who are at worst risk of poverty or who are finding it hardest are lone parents and people with lower levels of formal education. Let's speak to Louise Bayliss, who's the co-founder of Spark. That's uh, the group Single Parents Acting for the Rights of Kids. Spark is also a member of uh, the National One Parent Family Alliance. Good morning to you, Louise, and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Uh, these figures are, are shocking, uh, but give us a, an insight into what is reality, the day-to-day lives for so many people who are finding it difficult to get to the end of the week. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It's the reality of trying to get to the end of the week. What I've noticed in Spark recently is I've been speaking to some parents and they said, you know, life has always been a struggle, but they managed to get to, you know, the payday on social welfare would be a Thursday for lone parents. And they'd always kind of be tight on a Wednesday, but, you know, managing. And now the reality is since the cost of living crisis, many people are saying to me that from Monday I have no money. You know, there is nothing in there. And that's without worrying about a leak in the roof or the washing machine? Well, that's with many of people would be on prepaid electricity and prepaid gas. Mm. And that is literally saying, I've got seven euro on the meter. I'm going to have to see if that will stretch till Thursday. I've no money to top it up. Or the sole Um, falling off your shoe or something like that. Or anything like that. There's absolutely no no money whatsoever for anything like that. And you were talking about the silk report, Michael, there earlier, and you were saying about 13.1% of people at risk of poverty. For lone parents, that's 23.8%, you know. And if we look at deprivation in the general population, 17.7% of population experience deprivation. For lone parents, it's 43.5%. you know, these levels of deprivation are real, and that was before cost of living. With the cost of living, what we are seeing is, you know, some of the figures, I actually was quite shocked that how low they seemed, that only one in three were struggling to get by. And maybe it's because I am in, you know, the, working in, with lone parents and, you know, hearing all these stories. I was actually quite shocked that it was only one in three. I thought it would have been much higher. Um, but I suppose that is the company I'm keeping. Okay, right. Um, Why are are lone parents so vulnerable? Does it all come down to the cost of childcare? No, it doesn't all. Childcare obviously is a huge issue because the cost of childcare means that for many lone parents, if they work, it makes no difference. You know, um, Mm. and and many people will. You know, the national childcare scheme has made an impact, but the national childcare scheme only is working for people whose child is in a crash. For many lone parents who are working in hospitality, retail, the care sector, that's not a nine-to-five crash hours. That's a childminder, and you get no support at the moment for childminding. And uh, I know there are moves to change that and that all childminders will be registered, and we welcome that. But for at the moment, if you're paying out €150 in childcare, you're losing social welfare, you're losing your medical card. And and again, not saying that that is a life of luxury, but when you're paying out all these expenses, sometimes working is not financially better off. And actually, the government did do a report at the Indicom report in, I think, 2017. And when they looked at it, and this was an independent evaluation, they actually said work, it does not always pay for lone parents. Mm. But there is a mental health benefit. But because of childcare? 
because of yeah. childcare, mm. yeah. yeah. The other thing is, Michael, we have absolutely no statutory child maintenance agency. We're one of the few countries in the EU that doesn't have it. So basically, um, and, and a report actually only came out last week from the Joint Rockers Committee um, from Justice, and they've recommended a statutory maintenance agency, as did the maintenance review group, but we're still being told we're not going to get it. And what that means is there's very poor enforcement of court orders. I mean, it really is up to the individual who's owed the money to go back in and out of court to fight for the money to be paid. And it can be a thankless and, and you know, just not worth it in the end. So many children are living and experiencing deprivation while at the same time being owed thousands in child maintenance arrears. That's wrong too. We can't expect, you know, one income does not support a child. And if there are two parents there, the second parent must be held responsible and they're currently not held responsible. Why or what's missing in uh, the system? Because, uh, I mean... Uh, they're uh, obliged to pay maintenance, are they not? So why are they not forced to pay it if they're refusing? Well, because, you know, the court issues the order and the court issues an order and and basically assumes that it's going to be paid. If it's not paid, the court isn't going to follow it up. It's up to the individual to go in and out of court. Um, One of the major issues we find is that if a court order is issued and and then somebody brings Mm. the person back for an enforcement order, um, if they don't turn up a bench warrant is issued those bench warrants are very rarely executed because there's no prosecuting guard to actually follow up on it and then that means the system stops that's mm. the end of it you know there's another thing that you could do is so realistically there's no obligation on anybody to pay child maintenance yeah, there's nobody who's going to police if you decide it. not to pay there's mm. very little you can do about it I mean one of the things the only thing you could do is get an attachment of earnings which but that is to the employer it's not to the person so all they have to do is change jobs and that order is now defunct um, and the, 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 there are means around this if you look Michael if I stopped paying my property tax tomorrow mm. Revenue will contact my employer and make sure that it's taken out of my salary. We don't do that for child maintenance. And I find that quite sickening when we look at the level of poverty that are being experienced by children in this in this jurisdiction. We look at the levels of poverty. And yet we have a simple solution there that we do it for property, but we don't do it for child welfare. To me, that's extremely wrong. And just seeing that report coming out last week, it was a really powerful report. And, you know, if anybody is interested in, in finding out more about it, the report goes through all the issues around child maintenance and makes a recommendation that, that we should have a maintenance agency. But again, it's up to the government to implement that. And will they? Last year, Minister Humphreys came out and said, no, despite the maintenance review group, which had four out of seven said, yes, they recommended it, but she decided to go with the minority decision of not rec- of not proceeding with an agency. Okay. Which, uh, you would argue, obviously, would take you out of uh, that cohort that lies at uh, the least well-off in this country, lone parents uh, uh, and uh, those with lower levels of formal education, uh, worst off in the country. That, and if something uh, made work pay, uh, which is impossible for lone parents uh, who have to pay for childcare if uh, they do go to work. Uh, Would you be hoping for some change uh, in October when the budget is announced? We absolutely would hope for some change. And we know there is change coming around the National Child Care Scheme. I do know that Minister O'Gorman, Roderick O'Gorman, is looking to um, ensure that people on National Child Care Scheme 
will be able to access the money there if they are using a childminder. That will be hugely significant for lone parents, many of them who are in retail and hospitality. That will make a huge difference. So we look forward to that. But one of the things that we would absolutely look for is an increase in the, in, for the qualified child increase rate. So last year, um, as you know, we were all facing a cost of living increase. For people with children, even if they were teenagers, the increase for having a child went up by two euro a week. Now, two euro a week in the midst of a cost of living crisis really meant a drop in their standards where lone parents were already suffering hugely and their children. And two euro was absolute joke. So, you know, we're hoping that that will change this year and we've all looked for asking for you know much more significant increase we know the minimum essential standard of living report came out about three weeks ago and that showed that there's a deficit there for lone parents of almost 100 euro every week on what they need to survive and what they actually get on social welfare and you've mentioned there about childcare so many people say, well, why don't they just work? Many would work if the system was set up to allow it. You know, jobs were more flexible, were more fam- family friendly, and if childcare was more affordable. And if you did get child maintenance mm. as well, do you know, mm. you need mm. all of these mm. into place. And also, of course, housing costs does not help either. Yeah. Um, mm. So all of these things need to be in place. They're not in place, so we're hoping significant changes mm. in the budget. And we really are calling for a child-friendly budget. You mentioned National and Parent Family Alliance. National and Parent Family Alliance is a member organisation with 10 national organisations dealing with children um, or lone parents. You know, So we have groups like the National Women's Council, um, Spark, isn't it? Focus Ireland. I, I represent Focus Ireland and Spark on it. And mm. um, one family are there, Troar, Bernardo's, all these groups that you would think. And we were all so disappointed last year when we saw the two-year increase for children. And we hope this year um, the budget will reflect the lack of support that was there for children in Budget 2023. Okay, Louise, thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to speak to us uh, this morning. Much appreciated. Louise Bayliss, co-founder of Sparka. That's uh, the group, the single parents acting for the rights of kids. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, thanks to Terry Roach, who has emailed us about uh, the Other Side Festival at Rock Farm, Slane Castle. Can you please report on the noise pollution from that event? She says in her email, the village is outraged. It's a three-day festival till 3 a.m., starts on Friday over the weekend. We have catered, obliged and complied for over 40 years for slaying concerts when we are locked into our homes and can't move our cars on the Saturday of the concert or have visitors to our houses with concert goers urinating in our housing estate. I sent an email of complaint to the council on Friday outlining my concerns and anger with Slane Castle's latest venture. You can't even walk your dogs past to the Solus and Slane and the uh, Karina Cunningham runs of uh, the land which is a right of way to the Ramparts Navin but they think they can subject, subject us to a tournament in uh, the sanctuary of our own home for 15 hours over three consecutive days I left the house on Friday because I couldn't stick it last year it was horrendous the relentless boom boom but my 16 year old stayed at home and at one stage around midnight his keyboard was vibrating he sent me a number of videos uh, the last one was at 20 to 3 in the morning. They marketed the festival as a well-being event. There's nothing well-being about it for the people of Slane. That's according to Terry Roach, who emailed us uh, that. Uh, 
you're in Slane, uh, perhaps uh, you can let us know if it's uh, the way you view the event uh, as well uh, or that you're just glad it's over at this stage, uh, as I imagine Terry is. Thanks uh, for the email to the programme. We'll go to Lordship uh, in County Louth now, uh, where, as you may have heard over the weekend, a borrowed car was stolen from Claire Malone's house. She's been telling Mark O'Driscoll-Moore. Myself and my husband, we sold our car in the last uh, 10 days and my brother-in-law, um, he sells cars. So he gave us a loan of a car. And um, we, but he's, he obviously had that one up for sale. So last Tuesday, a couple of people contacted, um, well, one man contacted about seeing the car and uh, my brother-in-law's away, so I asked my husband, would he show the car? So they came down to where we live and um, came in and they tested on the car. So there was two, car- two keys on the keyring, um, of the same key, um, because it was up for sale. So uh, it was two guys, and they had a, gray- a silver Aventus, 08, loud, reg. Uh, we didn't get the full reg, just LH. Um, so they both test drove the car, which was unusual, but uh, my husband's very, uh, very trusting. So um, they went out anyway for a little spin, came back, and all was fine. They said that they'd be in touch or whatever. And um, so then on Friday, I was going to work and uh, had saw, seen the car there, and um, I had to get a loan of another car to go to work so that my husband would have a car with the kid, with the baby seats. So um, anyway, I came back and I thought it was unusual. I noticed that the car wasn't there, um, but I just thought, I presumed my brother-in-law had come back and taken it. Um, so anyway, the next morning, we were, which was yesterday morning, we were continuing just with life. And then Paddy came in because he had noticed that the keys of the Toyota Hilux were sitting uh, on the on the counter. And he came in, like, shouting, where's the car? Oh, my God, the car, have you you seen the car? Whatever. And then rang our brother-in-law, and then he said, it's gone, it's gone, definitely. So uh, we were racking our brains, rang the the police, obviously. They came almost immediately, and they were here with us for a while, which was great, and went through everything. And it was actually the police that noticed uh, the keys. Um, They said, said, just check your keys there, and then the two keys were different. So the guys had swapped the keys. They had um, swapped them out. So we had one bogey key and one of obviously a normal key. So they rocked up on Friday night and, and just got into the car because they had the key. So look, obviously a very, you know, clever scam that yes. yeah. they actually were in your house. They were they had time to switch the keys while they were test driving the car. Oh, yeah. Like cheeky gets down and talking to my son as well, you know, my toddler. So, um and uh, left with our baby seats in the car, our two baby seats with two toddlers. Um, so, and actually Paddy heard kind of a wheel spin outside at about 11, uh, but, but presumed, you know, it was, it was somebody coming back. He just he didn't think anything of it, you know. Um, he just thought it was, uh, he just thought it was somebody at the house. So somebody who was staying here. So it was just, yeah. So anyway, uh, the guards, uh, we're in touch yesterday, or so we're here obviously yesterday, and um, we're very helpful. And you know, think I might still be in the area, so obviously I've posted it everywhere about it. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we get it back, or I don't know. Hopefully, obviously we get it back, and then um, because obviously the car is not ours either, you know. 
Yeah, it's your, um, your brother-in-law, so is, is obviously yeah, down a so card that he was planning well, to sell. You know? Yeah, it's his business, and um, and we obviously feel dreadful about that. And uh, and then we've no baby seats either. So, um, and that's something that the public could keep an eye out for as well, Claire. They're very yeah. distinctive baby seats. Yeah, so it was a Spider-Man seat, Spider-Man toddler seat, and a um, a pink, kind of a red, uh, a red material, maybe a maxi cozy. I can't even think of what name it is of the baby, of the other baby seats. Um, yeah, but there are there are baby seats, you know. So um, it's just if anyone sees them jump somewhere um, or sees the car, whether it, like the guards said, the plates could be changed, um, it could be just lying idly somewhere, you know, until they come back. Um, but any information at all that we can get, we'd be so grateful to either contact uh, contact me on Facebook or um, or contact John Dock Garda Station. They've been very helpful. And that. Disgusting, really horrible. Absolutely. Horrible and that these guys are doing. That black Toyota Hilux then, it, it could still be in the area. The picture that you have posted on social media, is that the exact one or is it just yeah. a similar one? No, 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 that's it. That's got the reg plates and everything on it. Right, so... It's as a UK reg. It's, an, it's a northern reg plate, sorry. So, um, just to note... And as you said, if anyone sees it, contact Gardy or yourselves uh, yeah. on Facebook. Or ourselves on Facebook, yeah. And uh, but the guards know all about it, obviously. And um, so, yeah, I'm just hoping if anyone just sees anything of just something unusual just lying around, that's what appears, and, and uh, that it's there for the last day or so. You know, it would be great. Indeed, and uh, let's hope uh, that's the case. Some food for thought, no doubt about it. Claire Malone was speaking uh, to LMFM's Marco Driscoll. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, Tara Mines will go into care and maintenance on Friday of this week. Let's speak to John Regan, SIPSU sector organiser. Once again, a very good morning to you, John, and thanks for joining us on the programme today. Talks have concluded at the WRC. The trade union group has reached an agreement with Belyden, and you're recommending that your members vote in favour of this agreement. Yeah, we are recommending it. Uh, it's not obviously uh, going to replace uh, full-time employment, but it's the best we could achieve um, on Friday night. And uh, it's, um, it's it's certainly been recommended for acceptance. We'd be at a general meeting this evening uh, at 6.30 in the Newgrange Hotel, and we will walk everybody through the document and... Uh, take questions and answers and ultimately the ballot will start uh, people will vote on it from uh, Tuesday morning until uh, Thursday morning we'll have a a result Okay. Am I right in thinking that there's three strands to this uh, agreement that an allowance will be paid to workers uh, there's an agreement on the number of people who will remain in employment for this period that most people are temporarily laid off and uh, then there's uh, the situation that people will return to. Yeah and then there's the added dimension in all of that uh, throughout uh, after the uh, closure on, uh, on Friday next we will be engaging with government uh, and uh, trying to progress uh, agendas with the government that will bring back people back to work earlier than what we uh, currently have an indefinite uh, duration. There's no date and uh, we're hoping to be able to progress that uh, with the government. All right. Should we be worried that there's going to be a review 
on the 12th of October. That might be longer than some were hoping for. Well, there's a review built into this. We meet uh, on the 25th of July. There's a steering group um, that will be, you know, reviewing everything under care and maintenance, uh, and it commences on July the 25th. So uh, we will be on top of this um, throughout on a, on a fortnightly basis. Um, and ultimately, if we can get an early return, if we can get a date, it'd be uh, hugely welcomed. Uh, and uh, we intend to try and press that as much as we can. But would it be fair to think that there's little prospect of the mine reopening before the 12th of October? Again, Michael, I just I don't want to be brought no. into a date, locked into a date. Uh, no. We're going to keep um, trying to get it as early as possible. But I, I, look, no. at October is not that far away. Uh, and it's not definite that uh, you know that, that the markets will have recovered mm. by then. So, and and it's the markets that's going to dictate a hell of a lot of this. Uh, outside of what the government might be able to do, they have indicated that they are working hard behind the scenes, and they have um, told us that they there is things that they can do, but it has to go into Europe and through certain committees there to come back out again. So, mm. whatever length of time and how quick that can be done will, uh, you know, also have a feature on whether uh, there's an early uh, recommencement of operations. I'm sure. I'm also sure, and I think you'd agree, that's uh, the one question that everybody is going to want answered when you meet your members, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And and we, as representatives, want that date. We've been Mm. uh, pressing that all the time. We'll equally be talking, hopefully, to the board uh, of Belayden tomorrow. They just happen to have a meeting in uh, Tara Mind. So we're hoping that we will be able to get some uh, information into them and uh, indeed some responses from them. Mm. Uh, I presume that you won't go into details of what the allowance will be for workers who are laid off? Not until after we share it. I, I don't want workers hearing That's what fine. it is yeah. online, even though they would have probably have seen the overall agreement at this stage. But look, at, um, mm. uh, again, there's a protocol, obviously, and uh, workers need to know um, first before they start hearing it on the airways. Absolutely, and I, I respect that, John. I, I suppose uh, I, I'm trying to look at it from the workers' point of view because they've a, a lot to take in here, uh, an awful lot uh, uh, at that for so many different reasons They're be, to be out of work uh, uh, you're saying that you've agreed with the company that they'll return uh, on the terms and conditions that they had up to Friday of uh, this week before they're laid off uh, and that's a good thing but the first question is when will that be uh, which you can't say uh, and uh, how am I supposed to s- survive and I suppose uh, that's what the retainer uh, will help with to some degree and that's what they'll be trying to weigh up on their minds to to, to uh, what degree in fact how much will it be able to help uh, but that's what they'll have to vote on in a, a relatively short space of time you're expecting a result o- on this by Thursday I think are you? Yeah, we'll have, we'll have covered all the shifts coming and going in, in the three-day period. It just happens to work out that way. Some people will be off work that all this week, uh, scheduled to be off, and um, they are going to have to come into the mine, and that's what we'll be asking them to do tonight, uh, you know, to just come in and cast our vote and uh, have, their, have their say. Mm. Um, yeah, so look at... If they were to if they were to reject the deal, what would that mean? 
Well, look at again, Michael. I don't want to, um, uh, you know, I don't want to speculate on a rejection yeah. or whatever. The, they need, I don't want to put pressure on people to vote. Uh, either way, they make up their own mind. Uh, we'll explain to people tonight uh, what happens in the event of, um, you know, uh, acceptance or rejection. Yeah. Uh, both of them needs to be uh, discussed tonight. Um, but look at this, we're still in process. Mm. Um, and it's a recommendation from uh, conciliation. And uh, there's always the Labour court after that. Mm. And there is progress, no doubt. Uh, you've made some gains. Uh, whether that's a, a enough or, or not, as you say, is up to the members to decide. But you have this guarantee that they'll return on the same terms and conditions. Uh, and there was no retainer before the weekend. Yeah, look, at the return to work um, letter of comfort, it's been called. Each, each individual is going to get that. It's not part of uh, the WRC uh, document in its, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a condition or it's a letter of comfort that the company has, that we negotiated to finally get from the company and it's going directly to everybody. They'll all have, uh, you know, the terms of um, the, the, the their employment been maintained. It's in it. Uh, they'll also learn as well that um, if they get employment throughout the layoff period, that they can come back at uh, you know reasonable uh, notice. They'll also be able to hand in notice if they get employment and work out the notice with a with a company or a, an employer that they would be working with. And that's all catered for in it. Um, you know, so it's a it's it's a it's a very helpful uh, letter of comfort. It you know it puts a lot of rest that at least we're coming back into the mine when it all. Uh, comes about and that uh, our terms and conditions of employment are all protected. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, It's a a big day for everybody uh, and indeed uh, a very important week uh, with that vote, uh, the result expected, as you say, uh, on Thursday of this week. Many thanks as always, John, for taking the time to be with us. No problem. Thank you. That's uh, John Regan, CIP2 Sector Organiser. Now let's uh, go to some of uh, the comments uh, that have been coming to us uh, this morning. We started off the programme today talking about pensioners who are at risk of poverty. Uh, We have to look after our old age pensioners, says a caller. After all, we will have to look after all the new Irish citizens as well. Thank you indeed uh, for that uh, text of the programme. Magella in touch saying, my husband is in a home uh, and he has an appointment in the hospital and I have to pay for a wheelchair bus to get him in and out. 40 euros from Bettystown. I often had to cancel his appointment. I've only my pension and have to pay a mortgage and get all of the things that he needs can be very costly there's no doubt Magella uh, we'd a whatsapp message then from Ellen who says Heather Humphreys is talking rubbish you work for 40 years and then to be told to be grateful for 260 euro a week not everyone could afford a private pension uh, and if you have one or uh, if you have children living with you uh, and working, you don't get a fuel allowance, even when they're supporting a family of their own because they can't afford to move out. Uh, 
Interesting. Thank you indeed, Alan, for that uh, as well. Uh, we Deirdre and Cal saying it's unreal what's happening in RTE. Flip-flops uh, <laughs> at the cost of them. What was it, 30 euro or something? Uh, the 5,000 euro for 200 flip-flops. Uh, it's amazing, she says, and the taxpayer paying the bill. Uh, somebody else, Sean in Dublin 9, saying if Marty Morrissey did nothing wrong, why did he return his free car? You don't return a gift, do you? Very bad manners, says Sean in Dublin 9. Uh, Polly says, news of the executive board being stood down, broke over the weekend. Broke this morning, I think. Uh, Polly wants to know if they'll receive a remuneration package on their departure. If so, surely that can be stopped, he says. Interesting point, Polly. Thank you indeed for making it. Uh, and uh, one more comment for the moment uh, on the cost of living and loan parents. We were speaking with Louise Bayliss of uh, Spark, Lisa in touch, saying she agrees with Louise Bayliss about the struggles people face with uh, the increase and uh, the charges uh, that are all going up. It's getting harder and harder to make the budget stretch like it needs to every week, particularly when it comes to groceries. And that's when you're only buying the absolute basics. Government needs to be doing more to help out struggling households, she says. Thank you indeed as well for that. If you'd like to make comment on the programme, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 041-983-2000. Text or WhatsApp 86 658 Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Tomorrow, Ryan, Ke- uh, Ryan Turbity and his agent, Noel Kelly, uh, will be taking questions uh, from two Oroctus committees. On Wednesday, then, the media committee will discuss GAA Go, amongst other things, uh, when it speaks to Sport Ireland, the Federation of Irish Sports, the GAA, the FAI, and the Irish Rugby Football Union, along with all of uh, the media organisations in this country. Let's speak uh, to independent TD, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's a member of uh, the media committee. And a very good morning to you, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. Can I ask you about what's going to happen tomorrow when you have Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly in front of you. Uh, I'm sure you have some questions that you'd like answers to. Uh, would you care to go through some of those questions for us? Well, Michael, first of all, thanks for having me on your programme. Uh, Ryan Tuberty and his agent are coming before two, two artists' committees tomorrow. Uh, they're coming up in front of the PAC at half past 11. And in fact, Michael, I think most of the questions that we have in the media at three o'clock will probably be ready to be asked. asked. I, I find it very strange that. Uh, that he's willing to come in in front of two committees. So, uh, really, Michael, I'm just looking at the information there. The PAC has sent a list of questions to Ryan Tuberty and to Mr. Kelly. And basically, Michael, the questions that we're going to ask is basically the questions they're going to ask. The first question, and they've given all this information up front. First of all, they're going to ask for the payment to presenters and the personnel at OT from 2017. So, basically, they're going to look at the history of the payments. They're going to ask the, the details of Mr. Tuberty's contract uh, relationship with OTE, including the, 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 the latest payment and exit fees. They're also going to ask about the, about the, the tripartite agreement. Uh, the, of, this is a negotiation between parties there at the moment. Is, and uh, the, the, the basically they want to know is uh, about the underwriting, about the 75,000 uh, 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 euros credit notes that was given to Reynolds. They're also going to be raising about the invoices, the situation invoices, and about the uh, uh, consultant fees and everything else, and they're going to basically talk about then about the about, about on the, on the call on the, on the seventh of May, 
and it also with the letter from D Fobbs. Michael, this has been going on for the last three mm. weeks, and I'm mean, fairness, Mike, uh, the whole public are completely and utterly fed up about it. But why is Ryan Tuberty in the dock? Uh, he didn't do anything wrong, did he? I know that he's going to have a solicitor with him uh, tomorrow when he uh, appears before the Public Accounts Committee and the Media Committee that you sit on. Uh, but is he there to explain wrongdoing or what's the purpose of the meeting? Well, over the, over the last two or two weeks, the mental controversy has been unreal because the first week we thought we got a lot of answers. The second week we got no answers. And tomorrow, we'll, we'll probably, it basically, it, it, it's just giving, giving Ryan Tuberty an opportunity, and his agent an opportunity mm. to come out and tell us the truth. Because so far, the, the executives, the, the, the board of OTE, like, it, it, it's been unreal. Uh, I think the most common statement I heard so far was, oh, I will get back to you, or I cannot mm. be called. So in fairness, in fairness like, Ryan Tuberty and his agent are coming in tomorrow to, to both the Rockets committees. Voluntary, they, like, they don't really basically have to come in. So I'm just hoping that, that we get to the truth once and for all. Mm. Uh, Ryan Tuberty was a very famous presenter, and this, this has all gone back as far as 20, 2017 and 2019. Like the situation was, uh, his, his, his salaries were, were out there in, in, in the public domain. Uh, he knew that the salaries that were published were wrong. He, he, had, he, had, he had many of the opportunities to come up, come up and say they are wrong. So there, there are questions that people need, mm. need to know what's happened now. And like, like uh, was D Falls put under a bus? Uh, Michael, uh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Backhorse was uh, made a statement there this morning, and uh, what he's doing is he's coming in, he's, he's making sweeping changes. He's, That's the new he's, boss. He's getting, yeah, yeah, he's getting made up for the executive. Mm. Uh, he, he said, he said, he, my, my, my main concern, I, I actually worried about him as well because he went for the he went for the director general job in 2016. He never got it. Mm. He's got a, he's got also got a history with uh, with OTE. He, he was yeah. managing director of news and common affairs, and maybe. But he had to ask some questions as well. I'm sure that things mm. happened when he, he was there from 2012 to 2016. Yeah. A listener uh, earlier wants to know about the golden handshakes. Uh, are, are, are there going to be golden handshakes? Well, I, I hope not, Michael. But the situation was there's a hundred. But so you can't 000. deny people their entitlements. Well, Michael, first of all, is there's, there's no one, there's no one begrudging any of the entitlements. But people need to know uh, this, mm. this is public money, money, and people want to know. Like, there's a lot of controversy over the last number of weeks. Is uh, that all uh, people are not going to pay the 160 euros? I'm talking to a lot of people. People don't mind paying the 160 euros, but people just know where the money where it was going to go there. Like, if, if Ryan Tomity is entitled to his 120,000 back as far as 2017 up as far as 2019, if he's entitled to 75,000 a year, like, like, people just need to know. And there's, there's some well, that, that was probably it. summed up best by Judge Anthony Halpin last week uh, before the TV licence court. Uh, and he said uh, that their money was going to the freeloaders in RTE who got loans of cars or received branded cars free, gratis, spouses who were wined and dined or partook of events at the expense of RTE and others lavished with such generosity uh, that they should pay back the euro equivalent to help this financially strapped semi-state body. Uh, will you uh, be putting that point that Judge Halpin made to Ryan Turberty? Uh, would you be asking him, will he pay back the money that he got under the counter well first of all Mikey we have to prove first of all that he did get money under the counter like uh, if, if Ryan Tuberty and his, and, his, and his agent have contracts and, the, and these contracts are signed and they've been promised to get this amount of money 
they're going to have to be paid this amount of money because OTE is going to have to honour this situation. Yeah, but yeah. well, they were legal contracts, uh, 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 but by under the counter, uh, I mean under the counter where there was public sight of what was going on because what was paid to Ryan Tuberty was declared as were the top 10 salaries, uh, but the information made public was wrong and false. Yes, Michael, that's, that's one thing we'd have to ask Ryan Tuberty. And, 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 and in fairness, Ryan Tuberty led, led, led the public to believe that he did take a pay cut like everybody else. And we need to know is, uh, did he take a pay cut or did he not take a pay cut? And, uh, and, and basically, basically mm. he's let people down. And like, the, story, know, the story that uh, regurgitated last week uh, about how Ryan Tuberty said he had taken a pay cut uh, he was speaking at the launch of uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Christmas a- Appeal, whatever year that was, and said he was haunted by the poverty that children were living in. Uh, and he was happy to take a pay cut because we were all in it together and all of that sort of thing. Uh, it, it, it sounded a little bit bizarre, to say the least. Well, as I said, uh, pe- people are very, very disappointed. Uh, uh, we've got an opportunity tomorrow, six hours of interviewing Ryan Tuberty and his agent, we have an opportunity of asking all, all the questions from basically from 2017 right up as far as, as this year. Uh, Ryan Tuberty left on the, uh, give us notice in back in March in, in this year. A, a, lot of, a lot of things have happened since this year. Uh, who knows and who doesn't know and everything else. And he's got an opportunity to come in front of, of the PAC, come in front of ourselves, and, he, and he, he's getting good legal advice. Like The, 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 the situation was... Uh, these barter accounts come out and like there was 5.6 million raised in the last number of years and we just need to know whether all that money go to mm. and was, was, was he aware of this here but Michael there's so many questions to be asked uh, over the next, over the next uh, 24 hours and all I hope is that the public gets an opportunity to actually you know to get, to get the truth and where, where better to get the truth from the man in the centre of the whole, uh, the whole controversy Okay uh- Take us into Wednesday then when your committee will be talking about the future of sports broadcasting in this country. What are your thoughts on GAA Go? Well, first of all, Michael, as you know yourself, I, I'm chairman of the Light County Board. I've I played GAA all my life and I, I, I love being involved with sports. I think that the public are entitled to see as many games of, of GAA uh, as they can. Uh, over the last number of years, uh, a lot of GAA supporters never had an opportunity to see the games because Sky Sports or charging uh, extraordinary money for people to see the games. I think over the last, no, I, I think the GEA goal has been very, very good. I feel as though uh, it, it, it's done its purpose. Uh, uh, whether or not I think it should be free, if it's if it, if it, if it been honest and upfront, I do think it should be free and everything else because it, 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 OTE and has done, done a deal with the GEA. I think the GEA over the last number of years has made colossal, I mean, serious amount of money. I think the gate receipts this year in the National League in football has gone up to approximately 30%. I think you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a cost of living out there. If you were, I, was in Park, yes, I was in Crow Park yesterday, and I was in Crow Park before that. The amount of people that's going to support the GEA. And uh, I was just talking to the president of the GEA, I was just talking there recently about uh, what type of people actually go to Crow Park. I mean, 50% of the people that go to Crow Park are men and women. And, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of children going. So I think I think I think I would be sitting down and having a chat and see why first of all I'll be charging, but I, I, I can see that point because the, the contract with with Sky is gone, the money that were, that were received from Sky is gone, and all I hope is that uh, going forward, uh, I'm, I'm also like a member of Central Council in the GA, and we'll be meeting next Saturday in Crow Park uh, to discuss all these situations. But 
uh, I think there should be a bit, of, a bit of give back from the GEA because in fairness, the GEA has done a lot for the community, done a lot for people in the area. And I just think this, this, should, this should give something back. And I would be really, really pushing hard to get free view games as much as possible. Mm. Uh, and what about the games that are, are selected? Uh, those that go on the television, free to air, and those then that aren't and end up on GAA Go. Are there questions about how games are selected? Oh, of course. Uh, they, for example, the weekend, I was very, very disappointed that the All Ireland on the 17 was played down in Armagh. These, these are young, these are young, these are young children. Uh, uh, I call them, who's put a big effort in the last number of years, and everybody wants to play in Crow Park and play in the big day. And I think, I think there was an opportunity up next weekend because if you look at next weekend's program in, in Crow Park, you've got you've got you've got Dublin playing Monaghan on Saturday. And uh, I, I think to, personally, I think that that was a fantastic opportunity, maybe to put the, the minor final on, and then the next day you've got Kerry and Derry. And to me, that would be that would be a fantastic occasion to put Mead and Down in the Talda Cup final. I just, I just, I just think that I, I don't know, Michael. I will find out, and mm. we need to find out exactly uh, who picked these games, when these games should be played, and everything else. And like myself this year, was, uh, I actually made a complaint to OT this year because they were playing in Division Two this year, and for some unknown reason. Uh, we, we we got really no no uh, no no games and the people in Loud were, were giving out to me. So I contacted OTE and they were saying that the, the facilities in in, in our pitches in Audi wasn't up to scratch. But yet again, last year they televised two or three games in Audi and we, we discovered it was perfect. I just think that the, the, the presenter that night in the program made a mistake. But I, 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 I do honestly do think that that the GEA is going to have to sit down there and have a look and, and I hope that politics and personalities and all these things doesn't come into it. I know that a lot of big GEA clubs at the moment were given out that they never got an opportunity to be held on, 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 on. But I think if, if we mm. sit down, I, I do find the GEA uh, approachable. I do find that they did sit down and talk. But I think over the next over the next next the next not weeks or months, whatever it is, I think OT should have a look down and see the position of, of, of televising more games live and televising more games free to the viewers. Uh, okay, and who, who who should fund it? How, how should it be funded? If GAA Go was to be free, uh, should the GAA pay or uh, should RTE pay or should it be a combination of both? Well, I think, I think first of all, we, we need to sit down and see how actually how much it is actually costing to, to, to this here at the moment. It's, and, you know, maybe an opportunity, maybe of RTE and the GAA sitting down because uh, the public are entitled to international sport there at the moment is like a... Like a I just think it, it, maybe it's not fair me coming in and just saying, oh, let, let the GEA pay for it. Let's sit down and see how much it's costing. And, and if the GEA can afford to do it for your charge, let the GEA do it. But the GEA needs a bit of funding or anything from OTE. So them with OTE. But I think that the public do deserve to see our sports because uh, like Ireland is a great sporting country at the moment. It's, like, it's, it's fantastic to see that the rugby team under 20 reaching a World Cup, uh, World Cup final now and hopefully that will be televised live. Uh, our ladies football team and I in a couple of weeks' time are playing in Australia in the World Cup, and let's hope that they get plenty of coverage. Uh, you know, the, if the Olympics, is, is, like Ireland is a great sporting country, and I think that the public are entitled to get as much free views and sports as they can. Because, Michael, I'm going to be serious. I love sports, and I, I look at any sports. And you know, like even if I look, I look at the weekend there. If you look at the weekend there, the, the, the coverage in sports the weekend there was absolutely fantastic by by RT and by the GE and by, the, by all other sports. But I just think we should sit down and make sure that, that we get the best value from money that is spent both by the GEA and by OTE. OK, well, that discussion will continue on Wednesday. Tomorrow, 
it's Ryan Tuberty in the dock. Uh, it seems like an appropriate turn of phrase uh, for what he's about to embark on. Uh, I asked Imelda Munster on Friday, uh, can he expect tar and feathers? So I'll ask you the same question to conclude if I can. No, uh, Michael, if he's entitled to the money he got, if the contract was signed and, and, and everything that he done was above board, I don't think it'd be very fair to, 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 to do that there. Like, uh, uh, you know, well, I'm, I'm a firm believer that you're innocent and you're proven guilty. I, I have to say, fair play to Ryan Tuberty and his agent coming in tomorrow. I think, I think he's got an opportunity and all I hope is that he does tell the truth. I hope he doesn't come in and he says that, uh, oh, leave it with me, I'll get back to you, or I cannot recall. I just hope that he's open, honest and transparent. I think he's got an opportunity if he does come in and he does tell the truth and everything's above board that the, the, the public will accept him back in. But I think it's very, very important that he, as I said, yeah, that, he, that he does come in, mm. he does tell the truth and lets people know what, what actually did happen. Yeah. And, I hope, and I hope also too that, that if, if he knows who done this and who done that and the other and who was involved and everything else, I just mm. hope that he does expose people who in RTE who come out over the last number of weeks in front of the Rotters committees and... and and maybe told lies and that there. Mm. He's got an opportunity because a lot of people have been thrown over the bus over the last three weeks. And as I said to you, the horse is coming tomorrow. Let's hear, let's hear from the horse's mouth tomorrow. Okay. Maybe he is worth the money. Just thinking here. <laughs> Maybe he is worth the money. You know, the, you've heard the pubs are, are talking about screening it, uh, a bit like the late, late toy show or, or something. Uh, that's how much interest there is in this. Uh, it's a bit odd. Uh, I don't know. Does that say anything in terms of his value to you? Well, uh, I, I was stunned when I heard that the Late Late Show lost over two million. Like, uh, this is something that should be in the public domain. The, the, the uh, musical, yeah. Yeah, like mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 like I would be honest. I, I was always a fan, and I was always wired up with the Late Late Show, with the, late, the famous Gay Bone. Like my mother and father talked about Gay Bone, mm-hmm. and uh, in fairness, he, he took an awful lot of controversy into the Late Late Show. He yeah. kind of opened up the whole country. And I know, but you wouldn't usually have people going down to the pub to watch you asking questions of people in the media committee. <laughs> That's going to be the case tomorrow. It seems the pubs are advertising it apparently. Well, uh, over the last two or three weeks, it, it, it's a tell how many people has actually contacted you, mm. and especially especially the older generation who feels let down. And like, you know, and it, it, I think, like you know, this has been on for the last three weeks. As I said, it's good, and I'm very impressed that Ryan Toby's coming in. As I said, he's got an opportunity, and you only get one opportunity. He's appointed mm. two committees tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure he's, he's, he's done his, he's done yeah. his homework for the, for the last two yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, no I'm, just, I'm just amazed at the idea of the pubs uh, screening it that there would be that much interest in an Oroxus committee. Uh, and uh, it begs the question is Ryan Tuberty worth it or was he worth it? Was he worth that half a million or the million that his predecessor was getting? Uh, and maybe he was if there's that much interest in it that uh, people are going down to the pub to watch an Oireachtas committee. It's a very unusual situation. Uh, oh, yeah, Michael, I, I, think, I think people want to hear the truth. I think yeah. people mm. were, were very frustrated over the last three weeks there because every time you ask a question you're getting an answer and then maybe even a half an hour in, 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 into the cross examining they were, they were changing the stories. We had seven or eight people each time in front of us and you ask a question and a half an hour later someone would be actually contradicting the, the, the question that you asked earlier on. So it's been it's been very very frustrating mm-hmm. and it's, it's not fair in the public. So Ryan Tuberty and his agent tomorrow had an opportunity to set the record right. I just hope that they come in and they do tell the truth and all I hope is once and for all we get, we get closure. As I said it's very important that, that the new Director General complain. 
and uh, he, he sets mm-hmm. a standard. He, he puts everything, uh, puts everything uh, out in the open domain. He's come in. He's, he's, he's made three changes. He said that he, he would he would publish every year the top ten earners. He would even be sure that the whole board has a say in exactly what's going to happen there at the moment. And for once and all, it would be nice to know that OTE is going to be run properly. Going, all right. Going into the future. We'll leave there. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. That's uh, Independent TD for Loud and East Meath, Peter Fitzpatrick, who's uh, a member of the Media Committee. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now to drugs and addictions of all sorts and a proposal from the Tabor House Trust in Navan for a secondary addiction centre for women. Let's speak to Sinn Féin TD for Mead West, Johnny Gurk, who raised some of the obstacles that the centre is facing at the moment in the Dáil last week. Good morning to you, Johnny. Thank you indeed for joining us. There are some problems, uh, some significant problems, uh, but at the same time, this is at a, a very advanced stage. And if it is to be realised, it would be the first centre of its kind in Ireland because it is uniquely for women. Yeah, Michael, um, it would be a 12-bed um, centre for women, which would cater uh, for 48 women a year. So women would go in uh, to the treatment in three months uh, spells you know so so and that would cater the 12 bedrooms would cater 48 women a year and it would be the first of its kind in ireland and the, in fairness to the Tabor house trust they've been working hard on this for the last couple of years they've got a, a site gifted to them they have got the planning through and they have got a commitment from the hse for the day-to-day running cost of the center which is roughly around uh, three hundred thousand a year which is small money you know mm. so it's moving in the right direction now i myself have uh, spoke to dara o'brien i've spoke to stephen donnelly i've wrote to the HSE, I have wrote to uh, the Department of Housing. The Department of Housing have told me that it's in the remit of the Department of Health to, um, for the capital funding to fund the costs of the building. And um, so we've we've wrote to them. We've put in parliamentary questions on it, and it's just to move it along now, Michael, to the final stage of build. Right, uh, and that's a significant obstacle at that. Uh, as you say, though, you're kind of hitting a, a brick wall, uh, and you raised it uh, with uh, Minister Hildegard Nocton in uh, the Dáil last week. Uh, she didn't know a lot about it, and said she'd come back to you. No, she didn't know a lot about it. But um, like I would have spoke to um, Stephen Donnelly before on it when we would have been looking for the commitment from the HSE uh, to fund the day-to-day running costs. So he would be fairly familiar with it. I spoke mm. to uh, Dara Bryan. Now, even though Dara Bryan said it wasn't his remit, he would speak to um, Stephen Donnelly and uh, just see if we can get it over the line. Like, yeah, um, there's there's 160 women a, day, a year, um, roughly, um, dying from drug addiction, and that's without alcohol addiction or anything. And you know the way um, it tears families apart like and d- divides um, young children from their mothers and it's mm. you know and it's it, I was only reading last week in the papers where these um, addiction centres are badly badly needed across the country mm. Well obviously so if uh, the HSE has uh, agreed to give 300,000 euros that would you said every year to this centre if it opens yeah, if it opens, Michael, um, mm. you know, like mm. 300,000 on the scheme of things when you're talking about um, HSE budget of maybe uh, 20 billion or whatever it is, um, you know, 300,000 mm. is very small money. Well, there's a, a lot of projects, though, at the same time that would only be envious of the thoughts of receiving such funding, but it's a, a, it's a sign of a approval. It's rubber stamping the proposal from the Tabor House Trust, uh, I suppose, uh, and a, a great endorsement for what they're proposing. Uh, go ahead and do it, is the attitude of the HSE, in other words, but they just need a roof over their heads. 
Yeah, that's it, Michael. We need the, we need the money for the capital bill. Now, the, the Tabor House Trust, they do um, several fundraisers themselves on top of all this, you know, so it's it's not just um, the, the, the money from the HSE. The Tabor House Trust themselves ha- would be raising thousands of euro on top of that, you know, mm. so um, it, it's a combined effort, like, you know, and um, I spoke to the people in the Tabor House, Michael, about a week ago, like, and they tell me, like, that they're aware of five women that died from addiction in, 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 in the last few months, that um, if the centre was up and running it might have been able to save some of them you know mm. fantastic uh, that they were gifted a site uh, didn't know that uh, that site's on the Slane Road in Avon is it it is Michael yeah and uh, um, it was gifted in fairness by Tara Mines you know so um, you know it was a great help um, they got the plan through Mead County Council now it's Mead County Council that had to put the proposal forward for the capital fund but they would have sent that on to um, government so it's just to get it um, over the line here you know and get mm. it opened as quickly as possible ok great that as well gifted as you say by Tara Mines Tara Mines has certainly had uh, its own problems its debts of 100 million euro and it's going into care maintenance from Friday of next week a uh, number of workers are to be laid off not sure how many uh, as yet uh, because the unions have negotiated uh, that more people than the 40 the company was uh, suggesting uh, will be kept on during that period how long that period goes on for God knows and so on uh, you've invited uh, the unions uh, to Leinster House. You had before this deal was uh, agreed. Is that meeting to go ahead tomorrow? We won't go ahead tomorrow, Michael, but um, we may meet them on Wednesday. Um, they're, they're, they're supposed to be coming up to the doll on Wednesday, so they may give us a briefing on Wednesday of what exactly is happening and, you know, yourself to go into voting um, tomorrow and that'll last till Thursday. So, mm. um, you know, I suppose we want to give them a chance and see um, what comes out of that. It's not a, a great place that workers are in this morning, but probably a, a bit better uh, than it was last Friday. Yeah, but um, yeah, probably, Michael. But, you know, um, I, I was up there on Thursday with them outside uh, Tower Mines and I spoke to a good few of the staff, you know, and they're, they're under serious pressure, like a lot of them with mortgages, car loans, children going to college on top of heating their homes and putting food on the table, Michael. And it's very, very worrying times, especially, Michael, the one thing is no return date. And, and they were worried about pensions and VHI and all these other things on, on top of that, you know. So um, I suppose we have to um, wait and see how they're happy with this deal, Michael, you know. <clears throat> OK, we leave it there, Johnny, for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us on at the programme this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Mead West. Johnny Kirk. Now, I was telling you a little bit, I'm sure you heard all this over the weekend, uh, those comments from Judge Anthony Halpin about uh, the TV licence. This is the judge uh, who had to deal uh, with uh, 159 people who hadn't paid their TV licence on Friday of last week and he spoke about the freeloaders in RTE who got loans of cars and branded cars, spouses wined and dined and partook of events at the expense of RTE. Uh, he, he really uh, <laughs> was not behind the door in his comments. He said the law is the law and if you, have a, a li- if you don't have a licence uh, you're going to have to face the consequences of uh, the law. But if any Anybody turned up out of the 159 who he was to prosecute for not having a licence, he uh, put in place a repayment scheme uh, with on post for them uh, and he had to fine those uh, who weren't there 
Uh, he seemed very reluctant to do that. Uh, and perhaps because of how he felt about the scandal at RTE, uh, the comments are remarkable from a judge like this. He said, those before the court accused of failing to pay the TV licence fee may feel a little hard done by when they see the way RTE has abused statutory funding, which is annually provided to RTE. And it would be remiss of him not to refer to the recent revelations and exposures. He said, those revelations have rocked the very foundations of the National Public Service broadcaster and have sent not ripples but seismic shockwaves throughout the organisation. There is something rotten in the state of Denmark uttered Markellis in Shakespeare's tragedy Hamlet that can appropriately be applied to the shenanigans and mischievous activities that have gone on in RTA over the past number of years of which we know nothing. Judge Halpin went on to say that he was appalled and disgusted that such clandestine Destine, secretive and dubious goings-on would be the order of the day in respect of arrangements between RTA and the godlike personalities who seem to be above scrutiny. The elitism and exclusivity shown and demonstrated by the RTA ruling class is an anathema to the fundamental principles underpinning the freedom of the press and the trust engendered thereby of an independent, professional, honest and responsible national broadcasting service, which is the backbone to any democracy. He said he had watched the doll committees and the stereotypes work that they did in exposing and uncovering the wrongdoing and uh, that that was proof to him that the investigative arm of the parliamentary system functions effectively and efficiently in serving our state. They have a difficult and gruelling task in getting to the truth. Uh, And Judge Halpin also said that the writer George Orwell in his novels Animal Farm in 1984 was preoccupied with the language and how language can be manipulated as an instrument of control. The shifting positions of persons, he said, giving evidence before the committees is evidence of this. In Animal Farm, once pig, Squealer, who was comrade Napoleon's propaganda machine, abuses language by whatever means necessary in twisting and distorting rhetoric so as to justify behaviour, he said. To get the right answer, one must ask the right question or the facts will remain concealed unless otherwise uncovered by diligent and assiduous examination. As I say, it's remarkable statements coming from the judge, Anthony Halpin, who said our doll committees have triumphantly succeeded in that regard, but there is more work to do. And that work, of course, will continue tomorrow when Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly, his agent, uh, appear before the Public Accounts Committee and the Media Committee, as we've been discussing. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, we spoke about uh, the number of older people at risk of poverty earlier in the programme. We also heard about how lone parents are living in poverty and the number of young people who are living in deprivation is in the is on the increase. That's according to the National Youth Council of Ireland. Uh, and let's hear a little bit more about this. We're joined now by Paul Gordon, who's uh, Director of Policy and Advocacy with uh, the National Youth Council. Good morning to you, Paul. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, And you're calling on the government to use the upcoming budget as an opportunity, you say, to renew the state's social contract with young people. Uh, How should the government go about that? 
Good morning, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. Well, that's um, a very good question. And I suppose what we've seen in recent months through our through our members, uh, youth work organisations across the country who deliver uh, really transformative uh, services for, for young people is uh, a significant increase in, in deprivation uh, among young people. And it seems to, to very much be taking hold in recent months. And we're hearing that manifesting in some very worrying in worrying ways, including a rise in homelessness and, and something that came through loud and clear from our members is a, a significant increase in the number of young people presenting at their services struggling with, with food, poverty and, and hunger and, and what they're saying to us is that they can't really engage in, in, in uh, youth work programmes until those young people are, are fed and, and, and are warm and that's a real big problem not just for, for youth work organisations but for young people who are, are really reliant on uh, youth work organisations to provide uh, to support them in developing mm. really vital life skills um, and I suppose we're calling on the government to increase investment in youth work uh, organisations this year by 9.4 million um, to help uh, support organisations that are also struggling with the cost of living crisis and to invest uh, further in young people. So we're saying that one euro in every 20 um, in the 5.25 billion uh, expenditure package announced last week in the summer economic statement should go towards uh, uh, young people. All right. Uh, and at what ages are you seeing young people become homeless? Um, well, I suppose the, 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 the national homelessness figures usually focus on those who are 18 to 24, but we're also seeing for our members people who are younger who may be in, in, in difficult family situations uh, who find themselves Staying with, staying with friends, so couch surfing, so they might not even be uh, captured within those national figures because those figures relate to those presenting at emergency accommodation. We even heard last week of a, a young, a young woman uh, who who's, who's pregnant currently, who is is, is um, due quite soon, who is uh, couch surfing and is, is bouncing from from house to house uh, with friends, and who simply can't afford, can't find uh, accommodation because of uh, the real limitations at the mm. moment so those are just uh, just one of the kind of stories that really come through from, from our members in, in the youth work sector and present a really challenging picture but we, we think there are there are opportunities this year to support young people uh, and that does include investment in things like the youth homelessness strategy mm. But uh, at times you're talking about minors uh, who've left uh, their family setting whatever that might be and are couch surfing or whatever the case may be or trying to find accommodation elsewhere. How is that the case? If uh, there are minors who aren't living at home with their parents, why, why, where are social services? Well, I suppose that, that can uh, relate to, to, to family breakdown. Uh, thankfully, there are there are uh, wraparound services for many, uh, for people in care as well. Um, and often we actually see uh, challenges once people turn 18 and, and uh for, for those leaving the care system, there can be really um, significant challenges. People who need supports uh, to, to live independently and often they find it challenging to do that, um, be that supports in terms of, of managing finances, living alone for the first time at, at a young age um, or, or accessing uh, mental health supports for, for those young people. All right. Uh, and uh, there's been an increase in the demand for services from uh, the groups that you represent, uh, the members that make up the National Youth Council. 
Yes, that's the case. So uh, our, our members provide youth work right across the country, um, in, including in, including in, in, in your locality, and, and they've seen an increase in demand. Uh, to Two and three of our members said that in the last six months, and that's at a time when they're really struggling with additional financial pressures. So uh, one of those pressures would be uh, food budgets, uh, which are, are, are seeing significant pressure because of the, the issues with young people experiencing food poverty, but also like many businesses and, and people around the country, they are experiencing um, huge overheads, increases in energy costs, particularly over the winter months, um, which means that that for many they actually have to divert funding from uh, from their their programs uh, to actually effectively keep the mm. lights on, which is a real challenge. So that's partly why we're also calling for this additional support for youth work organisations, so that they can actually be put on a sustainable footing, so mm. that they can really focus on delivering. Um, delivering the programmes and activities that they do across areas like arts, citizenship, health and well-being uh, and other life skills, really important life skills as well, mm. um, that currently is is being consumed uh, with, with um, I suppose, focusing on, 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 on keeping the lights on, but also supporting young people who are in very difficult situations. And it's not mm. really their primary function, but, but youth workers... Um, are, are, it's usually a vocation for many and they're very compassionate people who want to support young people in, in whatever way they can. It doesn't add up really, does it, Paul? I mean, we're one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Uh, we're talking about what on earth can be done with all the money that uh, we've left over that we unexpectedly got in windfall taxes, about $10 billion, uh, this year, $65 billion over the next three years. As I said earlier, we were talking about older people at risk of poverty, lone parents uh, living in poverty, young people uh, going into deprivation. Um, I think Simon last week said uh, one in four people in hostels, homeless hostels in Dublin, uh, were working as well, whether they were leaving the hostel bed to drive a, a taxi or go into a hospital or whatever the case may be. Uh, how, how can we balance all of this uh, uh, in our minds? I mean, if you're working with people, young people who are, are struggling like this, how do you balance it in your mind that we have all this money in this country, we're awash with money, uh, and so many people are living in dire poverty? Well, I mean, it is a real challenge currently and the cost of living crisis, I suppose, has really exacerbated that. So I think many, many young people and many families who, who may have been, uh, I suppose, on, on the edge financially have been been pushed by, you know, high energy costs, high costs of groceries. Uh, and that, that feeds through into what our members are saying. And it's a really difficult situation for many. And, and we hear quite... Um, harrowing stories from, from our members about young people facing uh, issues like, like homelessness and, and, and food poverty. And I suppose what, what we're saying is that that government really needs to do more to support uh, young people, uh, not only in, in terms of the, the provision of, of basic services like, like, uh, like housing and accommodation, mm-hmm. uh, but also by supporting them in, in, in areas uh, uh, like, like the workplace uh, for, for those who are out of work as well, by supporting them. Um, and by providing additional investment in, in kind of strategic in infrastructure for, okay. for young people because we've seen maybe after the crash um, a significant uh, drop in investment in, in things like housing okay. and public transport infrastructure. I'm over time, Paul. I have to leave it there, but thank you for your time. Thanks, Thanks for Michael. joining us uh, for that matter. Paul Gordon, Director of Policy and Advocacy with uh, the National Youth Council of Ireland. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie.